you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to Ephesians chapter 3. As we will continue in a sermon series we started some weeks ago on one of the great books in the Bible in regard to theology, what we should believe, and practicality, how we should live out those beliefs. Ephesians chapter 3, in just a moment, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, but we're also going to be looking at a lot of other passages in the Bible. So if you came to be lazy this morning, I'm telling you now, you're going to do some work. You just can't sit there and stare at a pretty face. <laughs> some of you are going, who's that? <laughs> You're going to have to use your Bibles. But I promise you, if you will open your Bible, read your Bible, follow in your Bible, and later go back and study your Bible, you'll get 50% more out of being here today than if you don't have your Bible. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, but real quickly, an invitation to come back tonight. I know it's Mother's Day, lots of things going on perhaps in your family. But tonight, we're going to be having our Mother's Day message. Also, we're going to be dedicating children to the Lord. Recognize our Awana Timothy Award winners. So, good things to come back for tonight, and I encourage you to do so. A mystery revealed. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul writing to Miles Road Baptist Church. For this cause, I, Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ, a prisoner for you, the Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which had been given to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, the mystery, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. In the verses we just read, the word mystery is used two times. If you go through the New Testament, it is used a lot more. The Bible speaks of mysteries. Now, a mystery in the Bible, pay attention, is a divine truth that God has kept a secret until the time he wishes to reveal it. It's not new to God. It's a divine truth that God has had in his mind and in his heart, that God at various times in the past is hinted of, seated a little bit, introduced, if you will, but never fully explained it, never fully comprehended it to man. But now God in his wisdom chooses to make it be known. That's what a mystery is. Something unknown to those of yesterday 
by God's choice, but now known to the people of today by God's choice. Most mysteries have their beginnings in the Old Testament. They're first mentioned, they're first talked about, they're first hinted of, they're even somewhat introduced. But nobody, again, fully understands what's being said. They cannot comprehend it. But in the New Testament, it all becomes a reality. Now, what we're going to do this morning is look at some Bible mysteries. And we're going to learn what God would have us to know right now. God brings the mystery to fruition in the New Testament. And we need to know these mysteries because they're now doctrinal truth. Now, the first mystery we're going to look at is the mystery of the rapture. If you have your Bibles, open them, please, or turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52. This mystery was talked about in the Old Testament. This mystery was somewhat introduced in the Old Testament. It was hinted of. Some things about it were dropped off, if you will. But the Old Testament saints never could comprehend it all. But now Paul says the mystery, I'm going to explain it to you. God has given me the green light. And this is the mystery of the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 51. Behold, I show you a, say it, mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, that's the resurrection, and we who are not dead, shall be changed. Now up until this mystery is about to be revealed, the only way saints could go to heaven was by death. Now I realize that Enoch and Elijah were exceptions to the rule. But other than them too, up until this point, if you had a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were born again, if you were washed in the blood, clothed in the robe of righteousness, the only way that you could go to your reward in heaven was you had to die. There was no way to get to glory apart from the grave. And yet Paul drops a bombshell that day. He says that's the way it used to be. But there is coming a generation of believers who one day will go to heaven, not by resurrection, but by rapture. Not by grave, but by glory. Not by undertaker, but by uppertaker. Not through dial funeral home, 
but through the blasting of a trumpet. A generation is coming that one day will hear their name called individually and up, up and away they will go. Their mortality will be changed to immortality just like that. The corruption will be turned to incorruption just like that. They'll be taken up by the power of God changed by the power of God to be in the very presence of God himself in heaven. And these saints that Paul is talking about will sing a song. You say, I can't sing. That's okay. You'll sing that day. <laughs> and it'll be a chorus. Oh, death, where is thy singing? Because up until this mass exodus of God's people, everybody has tasted the sting of death. But there will be a generation that will miss it. The dead in Christ will rise first, resurrection, and we who are alive and remaining shall be raptured out of this world to forever be with Jesus. By the way, that's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. People sometimes ask, Pastor, what can we expect next in the way of Bible prophecy? The rapture of the church. I truly believe that some of us right here, right now, are going to be part of the rapture of the church. That some of us right here, right now, are going to go to heaven. But we're going to bypass death. That day is coming. The signs of the times are flashing before our eyes as never before. Some of us, all of us who are born again, need to be ready to leave this world. So that's the mystery of the rapture. And by the way, you know, Enoch and Elijah were pictures of that. They didn't know that at the time, and the saints who watched them disappear up into the cloud didn't know it at the time. But that was God's hint about the truth that was coming down the pike later. The mystery of the rapture. Some of us here are going to go to heaven without dying. You say, Pastor, what about my life insurance? Somebody else can collect it. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. I know some of you are... <laughs> Next mystery, Ephesians chapter 3. We just read, but let's go back there. The mystery of the rapture, there will be some believers in Christ who will go to heaven without tasting death. Now we go to the mystery of the church. Ephesians 3, verse 5 and 6. Let's just read there. Paul says, which in other ages this was not made known unto the sons of men. This is a truth that was not made known to those of yesterday. But now it is revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is the truth? 
not known yesterday, but now known today, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I told you last week when I preached on this in depth, I told you that prejudice and bigotry is not new. It existed in Paul's day. It existed in the society in which they lived, and sadly to say, it existed in the church. It was not a color issue. It was not a gender issue. It was not a class issue. It was not a culture issue. It was a race issue. The Jewish people versus the Gentile people. The circumcised versus the uncircumcised. The clean versus the unclean. The religious versus the pagans. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. They did not get along. And if a Gentile wanted to be saved, if a Gentile wanted to know the true and the living God, if he wanted to put his faith in him, if he wanted to repent of his sins, if he wanted to go to heaven, if a non-Jew wanted to do that, he had to become a Jew or he couldn't do it. He had to go through a proselytization that essentially he renounced his non-Jewish background and became a Jew. And even then, these proselyted Gentiles were still considered lessers and inferior to the Jewish believers. Paul says that day is over. No longer is there Jew and Gentile. No longer is there male and female. No longer is there pretty face and not so pretty face. No longer is there rich and poor. The ground at the foot of the cross will now be level. The ground at the door of the church will now be level. The ground at the entrance to heaven will now be level. Whosoever will can come to me, be born again, become part of the church, and fully integrated into that church. From now on, it'll be one for all, all for one, and one and all, under the lordship of Christ himself, who's the head of the church. There'll be no more walls. There'll be no more barriers. There'll be no more partitions. There'll be no more fences. The body of Christ will now be one. I told you last week, if they would have had atomic bombs in that day, they would have been a mushroom. The Jews would now be saints. The Gentiles would now be saints through their faith in Christ. These distinctions were no more. That's the mystery of the church. And as I look out here right now, and I look at you, and you look at me, aren't you glad we have an integrated church? We got people of all kinds here. And I want you to know we're all equals here. Some of us 
have different roles. Some of us have different responsibilities. Some of us have different talents and gifts. Some of us can do more. Some of us can do less. But we're all one and we're all equal. And that's the way it should be. It's the way it's going to be in heaven. It's the way it was at the foot of the cross. And it's the way it should be in the church. So Paul says, let me tell you a mystery. Not all the saints are going to die. There's going to come a time when one generation of saints are going to leave this world without ever tasting death. They're going to go up to be with Jesus. Some of us here today, I think, are in that group. And then there's the mystery of the church. The church is not going to have prejudice and bigotry in it because the Lord of the church doesn't want that. Jews and Gentile believers, all believers now will become one and they'll all be equal. Thirdly, Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The mystery of the indwelling Spirit of God. Now remember, the Old Testament saints, they don't know all about this. If you would have said, Abraham, what about the rapture of the church? He'd have said, I don't know what you're talking about. David, what about the church? <laughs> He'd say, what's that? The mystery of the indwelling spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. What's the mystery that Paul is going to reveal the truth to? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, I want to tell you something about where God is going to be. In times past, God was in a box. And if you wanted to go to God, you had to go to the box. The box was called the Ark of the Covenant, and God lived in the box. Then God improved his dwelling place. God went from the box to the building. When the temple was built, God moved from the Ark of the Covenant, a box, into the building called the temple. And that's the only way the old saints ever found God. They went, to the, they went to the tabernacle, they went to the temple, and there they could find God. Because that's where God was, humanly speaking. But all of that is about to change, Paul says. God no longer is going to live in a box. God's no longer going to live in a building. God is now going to live in a body. Whosoever gives their life to Jesus, he's going to move inside and live inside of them. The place would be replaced with a person, and the person would be all born-again believers. In times past, God was over here. God was over there. God was with us, around us, by us, in front of us, behind us, to the side of us. That was then but now he's in us. 
And he becomes the transforming power that changes the way we think, the way we see, the way we hear, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we live. You see, the Old Testament saints didn't have that power. We have it. Baptist folks, that's called sanctification. <laughs> Some of us Baptists are scared of that word. Pastor, that come out of Pentecostalism. That's Church of God stuff. No, that's Bible stuff. Sanctification, the work of God's Spirit to make us like Jesus. And by the way, if you're not being sanctified, you're not saved. Because whom God saves, God changes. Whom God justifies, God sanctifies, and He will glorify. But that's the mystery of the indwelling Christ. He lives in us. I wouldn't want to live in me. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in you. But he wants to live in us. An amazing thing. The mystery of the indwelling spirit. God will live inside of his people. The mystery of the church. There will be no big shots and little shots. No walls, no barriers. No superiority and inferiority. Everybody will be one. Everybody will be equal. The mystery of the rapture. There's a generation, maybe us. We're not going to die. One day we're going to hear our name called and the trump of God sound and a voice and a shout and boom, we're out of here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 the fourth mystery, the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. Now these are amazing truths. And again, the Old Testament saints, they didn't understand these things. God did not reveal it to them. God waited until... The church was established. And he used Paul and others to bring forth these truths that were hidden in the past but now would be openly revealed. And this is the mystery of godliness. Religion has always talked about man going to heaven and becoming gods. I mean, just about every religion talks about, in some way, shape, or form, man goes to heaven and becomes a god, or a gods with an S. Christianity is the only religion that talks about God coming to earth and becoming a man. The mystery of godliness is talking about the coming of Jesus. How Jesus Christ, who was God, the second member of the Holy Trinity, chose to leave all of that and to come into this world as a man. 
He would become a man who would be pure. He would become a man who would be perfect. He would become a man without spot, without blemish. And this man who would become, this God who would become man had a name. It wasn't Mohammed. It wasn't Buddha. It wasn't the Dalai Lama. It wasn't Confucius. His name would be Jesus Christ. He would enter the world through a virgin birth. He would have no sin nature. Because he was God, he would never commit sin. He would be absolutely, again, pure, perfect, no spot, no blemish. Absolute perfection in a human being. Why? He came to save us. He just didn't come to heal, although he healed. He didn't come to teach, though he did teach. He didn't come to work miracles, though he did. His primary purpose was right there. He came to save us once for all, forever, fully, and legally. Let me say that again. He came to save us once for all, forever, fully, and legally. Up until this time, Animals were temporarily being slain by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the ten thousands, by the hundred thousands, by the millions. And the shed blood of animals only temporarily bought us atonement. It was a band-aid on the situation by God's choice. But God decided something needed to be done, major surgery. Man didn't need a Band-Aid on his heart. He needed a brand new heart. And so he brought Jesus into the world. And Jesus would do what no animal ever could do. A bull couldn't do it. A goat couldn't do it. A pigeon couldn't do it. It would take a man, a perfect man, without sin, who would come and take our sin on himself. He who knew no sin would take our sin upon himself. Our sin would move from the ledger book with our name on it to the ledger book with his name on it. Everything we ever did would be put on him. And this one called Jesus, who John the Baptist says was the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, would be put on a cross. And there on that cross, he would sacrifice his life and he would shed his blood to die for our sins that became his sins. He became like us so he could legally identify with us. And he was God that he could be pure and perfect in doing that. You see, Abraham couldn't do that. Moses couldn't do that. Elijah couldn't do that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel couldn't do that because they were sinful people just like we are. One sinner cannot die for another sinner. You can die for yourself, but you can't die for others if you're a sinner. So Jesus became a representative of the, for the entire human race. That's why he was called the second Adam. And he came without sin. 
took our sin, went there, and died in our place that we could have life. You see, this was introduced, by the way, in the Old Testament. Remember when Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah, laid his only son, a miracle son, on that altar? And he was going to slay his son, but God stopped Abraham from slaying Isaac. That was a picture. Mount Moriah later's name would change to Mount Calvary. One day, thousands of years later, the father would lead his son there. But the God who spared Abraham's son Isaac would not spare his own. He gave his son Jesus for you and me. Paul called that the mystery of godliness. That God would become a man take our sins upon himself, shed his blood and give his life that we who deserved it could be set free. Two more very quickly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, the mystery of iniquity. As Paul is ministering to the people in his day he was overwhelming them. I mean, Paul was a, such a gifted man, and now he's getting this new revelation from God. Mysteries are being revealed. I don't know how you can take all this in at one time. But he's talking about it and teaching it. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 9, talks about the mystery of iniquity. Follow me. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he is taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even this one whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Paul is telling the saints that the last dictator is on his way. They have seen many wicked dictators through the years. But Paul says to God's people, they were all just pictures, snapshots of the real McCoy who's coming. This one will be the last dictator this world will ever see. He will be Satan's Superman, handpicked by the powers of darkness to rule most of this world. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. There will be many that will look like the Antichrist through the years, but there will be only one Antichrist. When he comes, he will establish a new world order. Hitler tried to establish the Third Reich. He failed. The Antichrist will come, and he will try to establish the Fourth Reich. The Fourth Reich, the new world order that he will bring to this world, will consist of a one-world government, a one-world bank, 
and a one-world church, if you can call it that. The Antichrist will rule the world politically, economically, and religiously. He will hold the world in his hands. He will establish a new world order that will require the slaughter of one-third of the world's population. One out of every three human beings will be put to death as he consolidates the new world order. One out of three of the entire human race. He will be magnetized, energized, and powerized by Satan himself. There will come a day when this man called the Antichrist will invite Satan into his life. And Satan will come in and possess him. Satanic possession. And he will become evil personified. He'll launch the world into World War III. And then he will gather the forces of evil into the valley of Megiddo, which is located in Israel. And there they will face off against Jesus Christ, which is another sermon for another day. Paul says that's the mystery of iniquity. The dictator is coming. Just as I believe that some of us are going to be alive when the rapture occurs and we're going to go to heaven without death, I also believe that the Antichrist is alive in this world. He's being groomed and he's being prepared for takeover. When will he come? When the church goes up, he comes in. There will almost be a simultaneous movement. And then lastly, the last mystery, and we're closed. The mystery of Israel's blindness. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul talks about this spiritual blindness, darkness that's over the nation of Israel and over the Jewish people. He says in Romans 11.25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. I, I want you to understand this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, have a blindfold on their eyes. Not physically, but mentally and spiritually. They cannot understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah they were looking for. They cannot see that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was Jesus, whom they crucified. They have been in a state of blindness and darkness from the moment they said, Crucify him! We don't want him! Until the time comes when God himself will take the blinders off their eyes 
and shine the light into their mind. And one day they are going to see that the one they said crucify was indeed their Messiah. And they missed him. But they will get a second chance and they will not fumble the ball the second time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a dangerous thing when God shows you the truth and you reject the truth. And Israel and the Jewish people rejected him. They knew who he was. It wasn't an accidental rejection. They understood through the religious leaders he was indeed the Messiah. And they said, we don't want him. He doesn't fit what we want. He hasn't come to do what we want him to do. We don't need him. Get rid of him. And they did. Right there. Little did they know that was part of God's plan. But one day their eyes are going to become open. And they're going to see and they're going to come and give their country and give their people to Christ. It'll be in a holocaust, but they'll do it. You see, God used the holocaust of Hitler to establish the nation of Israel. He'll use the holocaust of Antichrist to open their eyes to see that they have made some bad choices and that Jesus is the Christ. And they will give their life to him, but they'll pay for it with death. Because remember I told you the Antichrist will exterminate one-third of the world's population. Nobody will stand in his way. So if you're a Jew and you say, he's now my Messiah, you will be done away with. The Jewish people one day, their eyes are going to be open. And they're going to believe. And they're going to receive. That's some of the mysteries that Paul talks about in the New Testament. And they're mysteries that we need to understand. Because if they were true then, they're true now. You see, these things aren't taught much anymore. The rapture's never talked about anymore. But yet some of you that are alive right now will probably be part of that generation that will not die but just go straight to heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that the church is one? There's no contemporary. There's no traditional. There's no male. There's no female. There's no rich. There's no poor. There's no denominational, non-denominational. God's tore down the barriers. All who are in Christ are now to be in the church and all are to be one and all are to be equal. Isn't it wonderful to know that we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ when we get saved? When does that indwelling take place? The moment you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. And he will stay there until the day you die. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He's always with you. Isn't it wonderful to know that God loved us so much that he gave his son for us? 
He sent His Son from heaven into this world to become a man that He could legally and justifiably die for the sins of you and I. That we could be saved once and for all, forever, fully, completely. No more animal sacrifices are needed. It's completed. When He said it's finished, it's finished. scary, but we need to know hell's coming to earth. These preachers who tell you things are going to get better, they're in the blind too. I'm, I'm optimistic because we're going to win. I've read the rest of the book. We're going to win. But there's going to be some dark days ahead. There's going to be some troublesome times ahead. The last world dictator's coming. But don't you worry about it. You won't be here if you're a child of God. And then, Israel right now can't see. Some of you can't see, by the way, either. You've heard about Jesus all your life, and you still haven't figured it out. But one day they'll figure it out. And the promises that God made to that nation and his people, he'll keep every one of them. They'll come back to him one day. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.